Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 12 of Real Blend. Wait a second, what are you talking about? Well, that's because it's a brand new day here. The podcast you used to know as Awards Blend has graduated, and we have a brand new name, but the same awesome hosts. That's right. This is a live podcast on the Cinema Blend Podcast Network, and it is a podcast dedicated to all things cinematic. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend. And as always, I am joined by Jake Hamilton, entertainment reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jake. Hello, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm wonderful, sir. Good to be with you. How did you feel? Nice. It's real blend. It's it's uh, it feels a good. Day. The logo looks good. It's a play on the word real. No one's I, ever done that. I'm I, I'm in. <laughs> Well, and in the third chair, we always have to welcome our amazing colleague, Kevin McCarthy, entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you? Jonathan, how are you, sir? Jake, I'm good to see you, buddy. Good and to uh, see yeah. you. I, I'm digging our new name. I'm de- I definitely am. I'm, I'm excited that uh, we're now continuing the podcast past our awards uh, element. And if people are just tuning in for the first time, as always, uh, actually, uh, you can go to iTunes and find us. Now, I guess the question is, I probably shouldn't be asking this while we're live, but when you look for us live or on iTunes now, do you search Real Blend or Awards Blend? Search Real us? Blend. Search Real Blend. Okay, we cool. have the new logo is up on the iTunes page. It'll be on the Spotify page. And then you can search for us on Cinema Blend also. And then, of course, we do this this feed that some of you might be watching on the Facebook page also. So if this is the first time that you're tuning in to listen to us, we um, like to cover all the major events that are happening in the world of cinema and give you our unique spin on it. Um, We led into this as an Oscar conversation podcast, but we had so much fun diving into other topics that this is what we're going to try to do. The problem with us is that we're so busy with the junket schedules and running around the world, um, interviewing celebrities and trying to cover all the latest releases is that the date of this changes. So pay attention to our socials. Um, We share a lot when we're about to go live and cinema blend will share and we'll let you guys know when we're going to the Facebook page. And like Kevin said, we're on iTunes and you can find all of our old episodes for free. We found someone from Cairo um, who told us that they found that was awards cool. blend. I know that was really yeah. awesome. That, that was, was very really cool. cool. So I dug that. All right. So we usually start off the podcast with news and there's been so much going on. We're going to run through a lot of top Top topics. That's not a fun thing to say. Um, I want to start because an embargo lifted today for me um, on Cinema Blend for the Avengers Infinity War set visit. And um, so just to give you guys a quick for people who are listening who don't know what set visits are. uh, During the production of a film, usually about a year or so before a movie comes out, studios will invite certain outlets to the set to watch them film. And on a massive movie like um, like Avengers... We have to hold on to the content uh, after we collect it, and sometimes you hold on to it for up to a year. And so uh, today, Disney let us release the stuff that we learned from Chadwick Boseman and Mark Ruffalo. The two of them were paired uh, on the day that we got to go to Atlanta and watch them film. So I want to turn the floor over to you guys, you two. Um, If there's anything that you want to ask me that has to do with Chadwick Boseman... (laughs) Or Mark Ruffalo, that's what I can talk to up up until this point. But anything else, I talk to the rest of the cast. I can't I can't mention them yet. Okay, can I can I ask you le- less about sort of specifics, but more sort of about the general feeling? Sure. And 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 what I mean by that is, you know, like right now we're just so just engrossed in in the possibility of of what could happen with this movie. Right. And obviously, I was reading up a little bit um, on on your set visits, and it was before both Black Panther and Ragnarok came out, obviously. Right on set, did you get a feel that this was going to be a game changer in the way that the trailers led us to be- to all believe now? Wait, that Avengers will be or Black yeah, that Infinity, uh, Infinity. Well, yes, because uh, everybody that we spoke to really played off of just like it's amazing to be in scenes with all these actors who I haven't crossed paths with. You know, Ruffalo would talk about doing scenes with. Uh, Doctor Strange, which he hadn't before, Benedict Cumberbatch, or any of the Guardians. And what was really funny is that, you know, so we did this set visit over a year ago, and when we did it, Black Panther hadn't yet come out. Even Thor Ragnarok hadn't come out. So they paired Ruffalo and Chadwick Boseman together, and we barely spoke to Chadwick Boseman because no one really knew what to ask him. And now I want to go back and ask him a million questions because Black Panther yeah. is so big, and now we know that Wakanda is such a major component of you know, what, what they're going to do and what's going to be done in, in, in Infinity War. Sean, when you were on set, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I've always wanted to go to a set that big. That'd be amazing. And I, I love the Russo brothers. And I, I kind of would love to see them kind of in action. Uh, what scenes, did you see any scenes get filmed? Yes. Um, were, were, were the scenes that you were watching get filmed? Can you talk about them? 
Yes, I can actually talk about that. That embargo has been lifted. Um, there's a there's a set uh, Pinewood Studios in Atlanta that Marvel takes over. There is a huge lot in the back of Pinewood Studios that Marvel frequently uses. Um, I went to Spider-Man Homecoming and I was able to watch them film uh, that one when they were filming that. And, and on that set, that's where they did the Staten Island Ferry. So they actually built a physical ferry that we were able to walk on. And it was a physical set that they were able to split in half and flood with water. So all of that's that cool. was, but it's funny to go back and rewatch because now that's on Showtime, I think. And so I see that scene often and I love paying attention to the background because now I see that the background is is matte painting, you know, or it's just right. digital digitally filled in. Yeah. But I know that the ferry itself is. So they were using that set for Infinity War. And what was really this isn't spoilery. I'm not going to give anything away. If you're paying attention to this now, I'm not going to ruin anything. But it was um, an Avengers Quinjet arriving in Wakanda and it was Captain America and some of the team meeting with um, T'Challa for the first time. And he's surrounded by the door Milage and he has Bucky at his side and Bucky has an arm and they're bringing, um, they're bringing vision off the, the plane and vision's been injured. So Scarlet Witch is carrying vision and they're meeting with uh, T'Challa, but it was weird. It was really weird to watch them film it. So it's mainly the Quinjet is like half of a Quinjet with just the ramp coming down and then there's all the Wakandan uh, troops and and then it's all green screen behind it. Everything else is just massive green screen. But it was weird because because we hadn't seen Ragnarok and Mark Ruffalo is with the team. So we were like, oh, how does he come back? And no one huh. would tell us anything. And then we were like, oh, Bucky's awake. Well, how does he come? You know, we didn't know anything about that. So and then it was just like, oh, and the Avengers are in Wakanda. Like, how do they know what Wakanda <laughs> is? But now that we've seen Black Panther, we know that they become you know, known to the public. So all of that stuff is really tough to process. And then, of course, you get time with the directors and the cast and you ask them questions and they're like, yeah, we can't answer that right now. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's frustrating from that perspective. Well, how, how, how long was the filming happening? Because, I mean, I, I'm blown away that you were able to even see that many characters filming a scene. Um, how, how long are you standing there while they're filming it? Uh, are, are you hearing dialogue? Uh, is it is it loud? Is there a lot of action? Like, do you see any previs for the visual effects? None of that. Uh, you stood for about an hour. We stood around the set um, on the outskirts cool. and just watched them do this scene over and over again for about an hour. You wear headphones and that allows you to hear the microphones that cool. the Rus- uh, for anyone who's mic'd, you can hear what some of the dialogue is. So we heard Falcon um, kind of talking to uh, Winter Soldier and still being pretty hesitant about like, is he still brainwashed? Like, am I going to say a code word that that turns him into an assassin all of a sudden and then we're going to start fighting him again? So it was really neat to sort of to see them shoot that. But again, so much of it is still just your imagination. And then on a set visit, what they normally do is they shepherd you into a tent and then you just sit around like a round table style and they bring talent in two at a time. And then you just sort of rifle questions at them. So um, on Thursday, we're going to be able to talk. Uh, we're going to be able to share all of the stories that we got from the Russo brothers. I have like 10 or 11 stories lined up to hit. And those that's the good stuff. That stuff is coming. So I would say awesome. stay tuned for that. That's going to be tough to, to do with that. I mean, granted, I'm sure like you were kept from spoilers yourself on set because they didn't want you guys to know too much, I'm assuming. But uh, that's got to be tough to report without really revealing too much because that right now you don't know what's too much. I'd imagine that like you don't want to reveal something and then have it turn out to actually be some massive spoiler and you didn't even know it. I mean, how do you go about um, sort of reporting it without spoilers because you don't know whether or not something's a spoiler? Well, you you try to just process it as best you can um, and you use the trailers that have been shown to connect a few dots and to try to reveal like, oh, I can talk about this in depth because um, you've seen it. You've, you've so- yeah. seen a little bit of it in the trailers. Like I can talk about the like fact Vision that the Avengers being are in Wakanda. Yeah, or Vision being hurt because we saw, you know, Thanos' minions hurt. attacking yeah. the stone in his head. But yeah. it's really funny. Um, there, There's two different types of audiences that want to read that content. There's people who want to read every single thing. And then there's people who click into your story and you give them, you're like, hey, oh, Captain America, you know, is there with Black Widow? And they're like, that's a spoiler. And they get so mad at you. And you're like, hey, don't don't read the story. <laughs> and B, right. I don't really tell you anything you don't kind of know already. Like, we're super cautious about wouldn't the last thing. And to be fair, who, all of your stories start out with spoiler warning. So right. and, and the last that, thing it's kind of on you. that anybody wants to 
who's running a movie site, the last thing we want to do is ruin a movie. It's not our, po- it's right. not our right. point. We're not here to spoil a movie for you. We're here to give you as much information as you think you might want. And then after that, you know, it's up to you guys. When you were uh, one more question, when you were yeah. um, watching them film that scene, how do the Russos work together? Like, uh, are they like both question. behind Video Village or I know they don't have Video Village anymore, but I don't, I don't know where where do those guys stand? And are they like active together? Is one of them more vocal than the other? Great question. No, the two of them were really working in tandem. And this this rarely happens. We got the directors at the beginning of the day. Then we interviewed the cast and we toured a lot of the sets. We got to go to the Sanctum Sanctorum, which is a physical set. Um, we were on the, oh, you can go to my Twitter feed. I'm Sean underscore O'Connell. I have a shot of oh, me I sitting saw in the this. new. This is awesome. I'm this sitting awesome. in the new cockpit for the Guardians of the Galaxy's new spaceship. And I'm sitting in I'm Star Wars right seat. Yeah, you got to go check it out. That's so they crazy. took us around and sort of toured all these things. So the Russos sit in director's chairs and they're in a tent and they're watching the monitors to see what's shown. Then they'll come out and they'll talk to the actors and talk about different perspectives. Yeah, there I am. I'm in Star Wars so chair. That's so awesome. <laughs> if you're not cool enough to be amazing. watching us live on Facebook, you're missing. And then that's crazy. At the end of the day, the Russos talked to us again, and then they just sort of elaborated on a lot of things (laughs) that we learned. That's there. (laughs) Someone wrote that that is a pure nerd smile, and it's It's amazing. I was in Uh, my glory there at that point. Um, We got a. I got a question. Someone, uh, Kevin, wrote in a different Kevin, not our Kevin, um, who said, following up to Jake's question, wouldn't uh, would it feel like Return of the King in tone? Infinity War has that Return of the King vibe for me. I mean, I get that just in the fact that it's an epic storytelling and it's also a culmination. What they didn't answer, and when we went a year ago, they were filming three and four together. So they didn't really know. I'm sure they did know, but they didn't really want to reveal like where the break is going to be. So I don't know if this is going to end on a cliffhanger that's going to then feed into... right? I think. Yeah, I think. I mean, unless Avengers 4 is just... On a death. Wait, what is – oh, yeah, that, that's what I, – I keep hearing that this is going to be pretty brutal. Like yeah. I, 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 I keep hearing like – I think already Robert Downey Jr. and other cast members have even hinted at the fact that there is going to be some like crazy stuff happening in this movie. No one – I mean obviously no one knows for sure who or what's going to happen. But I, I don't know. I've been led to believe that we're going to be seeing some characters go away that we – that we that we, I mean, we can't tr- lose too like, many love. in this one because then we'll have no one around for – I mean, because we forget, like, I feel like, not to discredit how cool Infinity War is going to be, but it's not the last Avengers of this era. We've right. still got one more to go. So, like, while this one does have that sense of finality to it, we've still got one more after this one. So, right. Right, so while I'm excited for that culmination, I don't think I'm nearly as excited as I'm going to be this time next year when the true final Avengers of this era is, is on the verge of coming out. I also think it's the first, uh, and I'm uh, and I'm curious, Sean. Did you take a look at the cameras on sex? I think it's the first uh, feature film ever shot entirely on IMAX cameras. Entirely now, on IMAX. Now, yep. the, now I will say I want to I want to give a little asterisk there because mm. they're digital cameras. So yeah. like uh, you know what I and like they're 65 millimeter. They're the digital cameras. Um, I believe they're Alexa. I think is the is the uh, uh, the uh, type of camera it is. Um, so this is not the same IMAX that you're going to be get when you're going to see like a Christopher Nolan movie or um, even like the Mission Impossible Rogue Nation when that when that opened up to the full IMAX screen. That was actually shot on full blown IMAX film. So these are these are IMAX digital cameras that are that are giving us I think roughly 26 percent more of the image that you would be seeing in a normal theater. So. Um, I will say this. I remember when I went and saw Civil War, and I remember interviewing the Rooster Brothers and talking to them about that because it opens up uh, during that entire 17-minute airport scene. Mm-hmm. But that's the same camera, same type of camera they used to film Infinity War. Um, it's it's still not full-blown IMAX. And I say that because I went and, I went to an actual theater that has that, that gigantic IMAX screen where you would see something like a Dunkirk right. and there was still black bars in the top and the bottom. It did expand more. It opens up more. Um, but I believe it'll fill the IMAX digital screens like at your AMCs yeah. uh, and things like that. So it is it's a, a Limax. No, I, I mean, it's still it's like 26 percent more of the image. It's just not. I, I just find it weird that they're saying it's the first entirely filmed feature film in IMAX cameras. 
though it's digital, not film. But uh, Adam know. Andrew, who's watching us on Facebook, hey Adam, says that it was an Alexa sixty-five that they shot on. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. It's, look, it's going to look fantastic. Jake brought up Kevin, a really there's good two question. Of you. Yeah. And listen, I, 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 listen I, love the, I love the Russo brothers, and I'm all for them shooting on the IMAX format. Uh, I just don't want people to get confused between those two things, because what Nolan does is completely different than what they're doing here. I want to share a quote that the Russos gave me, but I can't. I'm literally embargoed. If, if Disney listens to this, and you guys both know this, I'm going to get yelled at, so I can't share it. So on Thursday, you have to tune into the Russos talking about whether or not they have a scene in Infinity War that's going to top the airport <clears throat> scene. And, um, oh, you can now you can, that you can how would it be amazing impossible. if the answer were just no no <laughs> no no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Amazing. If they were just completely honest like no we no. are never gonna top that yeah. scene um jake you know, have a, you heard from kevin mccarthy he says that there's no way we're gonna top that jake Dude. brought up a question and i want to get to this question this is important he said um do we think and this sort of feeds into our marvel conversation do we think that black panther like have we seen in black panther the highest grossing Film of the year. Oh, I uh, asked will, that. Will anything top it? I'm sorry. No, I asked that. That's what I'm saying. I'm, Wait, I'm saying J- the other J- Jake Hamilton, a co-host. Yes. What's the question? Asked if Black Panther is if anything's going to top Black Panther. I will say that I've been on the bandwagon saying that I think Infinity War is going to top it. But the more that Black Panther keeps yeah. earning, no. I now kind of believe that 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 it's not going to. But here's the thing, though. So. If I'm and correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I believe I need to look this up. If someone can look it up for me, the first Avengers film made 1.5 billion worldwide. Is that right? I mean, I've, well, I've, the, the uh, two Avengers films made over a billion. They both, all right. they so, both have. So right now we're four I'll weeks into numbers. Panther. We're four yeah. weeks into Panther. We're over a billion right now. Um, the question, I, I guess, the question there would be: Will Panther reach Avengers one numbers right. worldwide? Um, and if not. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't think Infinity War is going to open as big as Black Panther. I really don't. I don't. I don't know. What do you? What do you guys? What do you guys think on the right, opening the weekend? The first Avengers did one point five right? worldwide. Age of Ultron did one point four. Okay. And Panther currently is at one one point zero eight. Yeah. So Panther probably will get to like what one point four probably. And then, and then, I don't know. It's, we'll we'll it's see. It's not doing as well in China, and that's a huge market, obviously, for it. But and and Age of Ultron will, I think, Age of Ultron will play really well everywhere. Infinity War. Infinity War. Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I uh, mean, I think I, I, it's an interesting question because now Civil War. What did Civil War make worldwide? Because let, Black let Panther. But yeah, here's why. Here's why I bring that up. Because Civil War was basically an Avengers movie. One point one five. What, did it it, made, what was it? It made under. It made one point one five, and Iron Man three made one point two. Wow! What? Yep. Civil War made less than Iron Man three worldwide. Yes. Okay, so that so that that, that kind of right there is our is our our key factor in discussing the box office. I mean, like, will Black Panther, which opened up way higher than Civil War, right, have it a a larger worldwide ending box office? Well, I, let me. I say it will. Let me give you a few other titles. Jake, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I want to know what information you're giving. I want to give you a few other titles like coming out this year that that could, if it's not Infinity War, the only other ones looking ahead that I think have a shot are Solo, um, no. a Star Wars story. No. Just because it's Star Because in looking at the $1 billion franchises, they're all, like I'm saying, they're recognizable franchises. It's either Star Wars. And the other one I have is Jurassic World 2, just because Jurassic World made over a billion dollars. I don't feel the anticipation for Han Solo. No. I, I I don't think it's going to do that well. I think it actually needs some help. I think people are oversaturated with Star Wars. I think people are angry about Last Jedi. I think that, um, in my opinion, the casting of this of Han Solo isn't the greatest I've I've, I've seen for for the lead role. Um, I'm actually more interested in the Lando movie than I am. The Han Solo film. I mean, the the Donald Glover casting is genius. Um, so listen, I, I, when I when I'm thinking about Han Solo, the thing I'm excited about is Lando, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, considering the movie's about Han Solo's life or, or, or you know early life. So I don't know, Jake. I mean, Jake, you're probably the biggest Star Wars fan I know. Are you I mean, really really excited about Han Solo? Really really excited? No. Um, there's only been that's crazy uh, one Star Wars movie. 
that was not the highest grossing film of the year, and that was Attack of the Clones, and that came out within that came out two weeks after the first Tobey Maguire Spider Man, which was, well, was I'm, I'm sure you guys remember it was a behemoth. Yeah, um, perfect. So was Rogue I think one the highest grossing of its yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, it was. Wow. Um, and so okay. I think uh, I think Solo is going to be put into that unfortunate folder alongside Attack of the Clones as being a Star Wars movie that came out that was not the highest grossing film of the year. Wow. You know, oh, I, I don't think I don't even think Han Solo will reach a billion. I bet you it doesn't even reach a billion. I wouldn't bet I, against you on that. I think that Han Solo will end its run somewhere around seven or eight hundred million. Yeah, I think it's going to need unbelievably glowing reviews and massive word of mouth to get to a billion. Well, that's the only thing. Like, if it's great, like, what if it's yeah. really great and people go back to yeah. it time and time again? It's, it has to yeah. be repeat, repeat value. Yeah, um, right. and it has to really strike a chord with the fan base where they're just like, I want to go back to this again because this makes me feel like a kid and this is a Star Wars that because, rekindles my passion. I mean, keep in mind, since Star Wars has come back, they've all been in, released in late December and were able to benefit for sort of that dead January, you know, school's out, uh, there's nothing else really coming out, sort of, you know, where where people go to it because there's really nothing else. Jumanji also capitalized that on that this year. Um, with Solo coming out, Two weeks, three weeks after Infinity War, a week after Deadpool, you know, yeah. just a couple of weeks before Jurassic World. Crowded. It do, it, it, yeah, it does not have that open pathway to continuously rake in. It's got to open big, and then from there, it's got to be good just to survive. That's a great uh, point. It, well, could you just, imagine it, if Deadpool beats Han Solo in its second weekend? I don't think it will. I don't think it will, but I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, Deadpool Holy one cow. opened to what, 132 million or something like that. It was the speaking the of Deadpool, like like truth or no truth. To it sucks. Yeesh. No, that was a, that was. I thought that was a rumor that it tested poorly. I I had heard that that was a rumor that it tested poorly as well. But then I also read that that Brolin was taken a part of reshoots, which I know reshoots happen for every single movie. But were they re, were the reshoots a result of the? My only concern with Deadpool 2 is that they rushed into, not that they rushed into, but like they, they sped into a sequel because the first one was so successful. And I wonder if they really had a great story that they wanted to tell or they just had to yeah. get a Deadpool sequel into theaters. That's my only yeah. concern. I will say I, this. and I, I'm, I'm, Deadpool was my number one film of that year. I loved it. Uh, though going into this year, I am I, excited to see it. I don't feel the same levels of excitement as I did the first time around. I think a lot of that had to do with the marketing the first time around. Uh, I know we're only in March and we still have about two months to go, so I'm sure that'll ramp up because I know Ryan Reynolds is super. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is very hands on. He's like one of the cool, like one of the best like marketers ever. He was so hands on with the first marketing on Deadpool one. So I think that'll get ramped up eventually. Um, but yeah, I Sean makes a great point. Like we are so crowded in May. Like I don't understand. Like. We have Infinity War, Han Solo, and Deadpool all in May. Like, how is Han Solo going to survive? Yeah, I know. I, I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't see it surviving in that in that month. I think, I don't know. That's I, mean, I, I, I think it'll open well, but then it's, I th- but then I think it's done. I, right, I want to talk about. I want to talk about a franchise that's coming later this year. They've got one of our first looks at today, which is the Fantastic Beasts yeah. Crimes of Grindelwald trailer that yeah. dropped. And uh, There's you know, a title I'm... that rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, put that on a bumper sticker. Um, listen, I I was not that I was on the fence. I liked the first Fantastic Beasts movie. I for a while I thought the Harry Potter franchise was the most impressive film franchise of all time because of the seven films, same cast. Every time they added a new role, eight films, right? Seven books, eight films. Every time they added a new um, character actor to that ensemble, it was always someone amazing. Um, And I just thought that like to pull that off and to not have a misstep uh, along the way blew me away. Now I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe has sort of surpassed that. Um, And I saw Fantastic Beast as like a, well, we're trying to cash in on the on the popularity of the franchise, but this new one looks to me like they're finally starting to explore the mythology and make it bigger. And 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 it's a return to Hogwarts, which some people you know so, are sort of knocking online. But Jude Law's young Dumbledore, I, I I thought looked great. What do you guys think? Yeah, I thought the first film was a little silly for my taste, and and I know we touched on this right before we went live today, but the last half hour sort of got into the 
kind of complaint that a lot of people had about Wonder Woman, which it just turned into sort of just the CGI extravaganza, which I'm not knocking CGI. I mean, obviously we're heading into, you know, a, a season where every movie is going to end with a CGI, CGI extravaganza if it's handled well. Um, but, uh, but I just was not feeling I, it to me, like the, the film felt like the Hobbit of the, of the, the wizarding world. And, uh, in the sense that like no one was super asking for it. And Warner brothers was kind of in need of a franchise because they had lost dark Knight around the same time they had lost Harry Potter. And it just it didn't feel like there was an organic story there. And that's my thing is I'm all for, you know, if you've got a story to tell, like much like, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe in which we're 18 chapters into a story. If you've got a story that can last 20 years, by all means, please tell it. But if your story's over after five years, then unfortunately it's over. And the first movie did not convince me that the Harry Potter story needs to continue. Um, this second one does, there's, there's a certain charm. I'm a big Jude Law fan. Uh, and there, I think there's a certain charm to sort of seeing a young Dumbledore who is always uh, one of the more intriguing characters that I always felt like there was more layers to. And I'm excited to uh, explore those layers. Kevin, what do you think? I thought the trailer was cool. Um, I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan on the planet. So I, uh, I've i never felt a need for the Fantastic Beasts film. I thought that Harry Potter uh, peaked at Alfonso Cuaron's film, The Prisoner of Azkaban. And I think that... Um, I, I thought the last Harry Potter film, the the part two of Deathly Hallows, was one of the most underwhelming things I've ever seen really? in my entire life. I thought that that ending was so bad because you wait 10 years and they have like this quick fight between Harry and Voldemort and it's over in two seconds. To be fair, it's that's kind it. of like that in the book, too. I don't it's, care. It's very I mean, fast. But it's a terrible, terrible thing to do to people who've been waiting 10 years for this guy to battle him. Uh, and I, I, I listen for me, I didn't read the book. So I had sat through eight films and I, I wanted that fight to be three hours long. That, that, <laughs> that fight should have been like the most epic battle ever. Right. I understand um, that. There, there could have been like insane magic there. It would have been like really, really cool, except it was just this dumb like. I don't remember the wand just falls. Over. I don't remember what happens. It was so bad. Uh, and then the makeup effects at the end when they got older was terrible. <laughs> um, on top of that, um, I just, yeah, I, 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 first Fantastic Beast was interesting to me. And as Jake said, I actually loved Jude Law as well. Uh, I always think back to, I don't know why I loved him in that movie Closer, the Mike Nichols movie. Oh, Closer's uh, great. With, Road uh, to Perdition, man. Road to Road Perdition. Oh, yeah, right. oh, my God. God, there is the a scene. huge fan base for this Fantastic Beasts world, though. I mean, there's I can't tell is you there? how many fan sites exist. What are the for, first one make? Um, I, I, I'll check. I'll look. But I mean, I was, like, I was just wondering if people were going to go see this movie. Like, I don't really I don't know, know anyone that, that's dying for the sequel. Granted, I, I don't maybe associate with the people that are in those, that fan base. But when the first one was out, I don't really know anyone that was saying, my God, I'm counting the seconds until... The second and, and after this, don't we get three more? Isn't this two of five? They would like that there to be five films in this franchise. Yes. Wow. But there's yeah, a big what, story, story to tell. No, there's a big story to tell, and it's going to get. If they're start laying it out in the second one, where the the Grindelwald character, Grindelwald, who who Johnny Depp is playing, um, is a Voldemort esque wizard, and his battle with Dumbledore. This is the nerdiest stuff I've ever said out loud. His <laughs> battle going, with baby. Dumbledore. Um, it is this legendary epic confrontation that um, is going to build and build. And it, it's it's been hinted. It was hinted at in the Harry Potter stories. And so the real fans that dive into those books know that it's like it's a history story that that is important to tell. So when to the point where like when J.K. Rowling said she's going to tell the story of the conflict between Dumbledore and Grindelwald, the, the fans who really lapped this stuff up like went nuts. They weren't they couldn't believe they were going to get to see it played out. Now, how well, I'm not saying that the story's not important. Factors in? Yeah, I, I mean, it's if it doesn't hook you, then this well, is the movie that's going to get you on that road, apparently. I just feel like sort of how I felt about The Hobbit. Like, where I'm not saying that the story of Bilbo Baggins or that the story of Newt in the early days of Dumbledore isn't important, but do we need five movies to tell it? <laughs> no, like, never. I mean, I mean, what you just you told me five. was no. the story <laughs> really starts yeah. with, with movie two. Then maybe. what was maybe. the point? Yeah, maybe. Then what was maybe. the point of movie one? Like that's well. that's when I go. Why do these movies? Like if the story really gets, you know, that's why whenever people tell me like, okay, watch this TV show. You can skip the first three seasons, but season four it really gets. Then what's then what were the, what was the point? It's true. 
No, I know. I'm very uh, by, by the way, I was looking at our um, our Cinema Blend Facebook uh, page, and there people were leaving comments. Uh, two things, I guess. So, Infinity War is opening up in April, technically now. Yeah, um, it so is. it got pushed back. So it does not. It's not in the May uh, element of the, what we were discussing with Deadpool two and uh, and. Um, a Han Solo film. Han Solo. And second thing is, someone named Jeffrey said, "Stop bashing Han Solo." We're not bashing Han Solo. We're just giving our opinion on the on the on the idea the idea of are we excited about? It? I think we're all excited to see it. No question. Uh, I just don't. I, I just wish Phil Mil, Phil Mil, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were directing it. And opinion. I just I liked that being associated with Christmas time. I mean, it was. I mean, yeah. remember when like sort of like Lord of the Rings, like when a Lord of the Rings movie came around, like it kind of came with Christmas time. Yeah. Or, uh, and even Harry Potter, I think a handful of them came out during the during the summer, but a majority of them came yeah. out during winter. I always liked associating certain movies with a certain time of year. I've yeah. gotten used to associating Star Wars with Christmas time, and I just don't really like. To me, it just feels now like another like another summer movie. Right. I'm excited. I mean, look, I'm gonna see Han Solo clearly, and if I love it, I'll see it again. Uh, it's just one of those things where I, I I don't feel as excited. The Force Awakens was probably the most excited I've been for a movie in you know, 10 years. Yep. I can't even remember. I want to jump to this topic because this is going to get us to this. Jake, you bring up the fact that you associate star Wars with a specific time of year. And I kind of did too. Um, we're going to have to start associating star Wars with the Disney streaming service um, because yep. so many more of these original projects are heading in that direction. And we learned that John Favreau is going to uh, write and executive produce a Star Wars story. I didn't get to speak to you guys um, since we learned that. And it sort of feeds into the Game of Thrones guys have one going now. Ryan Johnson's doing a trilogy. John Favreau's doing one. And and I think the Game of Thrones one, it hasn't been announced yet, but I'm pretty confident that's going to end up going to the streaming service. How do you guys feel about what? Star Wars? You, you think they're going to make movies I'd... just for the streaming service? Or, or maybe those guys are working on a show. Has it been confirmed oh. that they are actually doing a movie, or are they just doing a project? I don't know. I think. I mean, maybe, I mean, I assumed it was a movie. I don't know if I actually read that it was, though. Now that you mention it. So, what do you guys think about that? What do you think about the fact that, as a Star Wars fan, you may have to sign up for this streaming service because Disney's going to really try and force content onto that? I mean, they begrudgingly have my money. Like, I can sit here and say all day long yeah. that I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to shake my fist to the sky, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna fight the the Disney machine, by the end of the day, if there's a Star Wars live-action TV show that costs me $10 a month, by God, I'm going to pay $10 a month. I do think what's more interesting is the bigger picture, which is for the last, I'd argue, 18 months, two years, we've lived in this era of, uh, of people cutting the cord and getting rid of cable because, you know, you can, you can just buy, you know, an app for $10 a month and you're good to go. Well, you know, everyone's, you know, everything's now going to be so proprietary. I mean, Disney's taking their stuff off Netflix and putting it on their own app. CBS right. created a new Star Trek series and put it on their yep. own app. Pretty yep. soon, yeah, two years ago, we paid 200 bucks a month in cable and said we weren't going to do that anymore. But the way we're going, we're now going to have to start paying all for all these individual apps for 10, 15 bucks a month. We're slowly heading to the world where we're paying, again, 200 bucks a month to get all the content that we want because it's just going off of channels and onto apps. So I think that that era of cord cutting, as quickly as it came upon us, is now going to be going away. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm also, uh, I, again, I'm I'm in the middle of a Star Wars overload in my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just not processing that there's this much more coming. Um, and I'm gonna watch it all, as Jake said. I will see every Star Wars movie that opens up, every Star Wars TV show. Of course, I'm gonna see it. And and I don't want to sound like you know I, I'm not excited. I'm very excited about all of that. I just feel like my mindset right now. I just feel like I'm overloaded with Star Wars. It's just right. too much. Um, um, so I like all the news that comes out with John Favreau, and then you mentioned the Game of Thrones guys. I'm just like I can't keep up with it. It's just too much. I like Favreau as a hire, though. I mean, I, I like him Me as too. a storyteller, and I think yeah. seeing what he does in that world will be interesting. So I agree. I mean, listen, Iron Man One is still in my top five MCU films. I mean, Iron Man One was insanely well done, except for the except for the villain. But everything else I thought was great in that movie. So. I just, I don't know. I'm excited to see what he does with it. Now, wasn't he helping Ron Howard on set with with uh, Han Solo? There was like photos yes. of him on set. What 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 is the connection there? I don't know if there's a connection beyond he's um, friends of Kathleen Kennedy. Basically, he's in the family. You know, Favreau is, and so <laughs> it's starting to feel like Han Solo was an all hands on deck workshop. I know. I'm thinking that like Favreau, I bet you Favreau directed some scenes from that movie. I I, I have started to like wonder who directed this movie. Was it Kathleen Kennedy? I'll tell you who didn't. 
Chris Lord, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Phil Lord, and Chris Miller. They well, didn't get a chance to go back to, to John Favreau. I think the reason I'm not super excited about the idea of him being behind. I mean, it's fine, but to me, John Favreau, and not to knock Favreau for the Favreau fan base out there, but he, to me, he's sort of like the cheese pizza of movie directors. No, where, like, dude, he's, he's better no, than that. He's, he's fine. And and cheese pizza's great, but there's no like real flavor to it. Like you can't really like take a bite of cheese pizza and go, let me tell you exactly what that pizza is and what it's about and where it came from. Like it's there and it gets right. the job done. And if you need a quick fix, sure, go for it. But like Listen, it's not I'm I'm not gonna go to a point. party and get excited over twenty boxes of cheese pizza. But I'll tell you I love chef. Chef is really funny and very personal. It was good. Has, has yeah, but Chef, Chef was made with because he had more control than they're going to allow him. Listen, was there any cheese pizza in Chef? There might have been. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, it, what he does, what he does with Jungle Book, and what he, what he, I'm hearing he's about to do with Lion King is taking cutting edge technology and blending it into his storytelling. And I think he yeah, does he, that really well. And I'm going to defend Zathura. He doesn't really make bad movies. He no, no, no. Yeah, Zathura but, but, is a but, ton okay. Of he doesn't fun. make bad movies. But does he make great movies? No. Iron Man. Iron Man one's great. Iron Man. I 1's see what good. you're saying. Like, like if we're doing a list of classic films, like how many do we go down before we get to a Favreau film? I see what you're saying. I mean, I that's the, the thing. Point. Like, like I, like I don't know anyone that that hates Favreau, and by no means do I hate Favreau. But do you know anyone that loves Favreau? Well, here's what it is. Like, there's like a Brett Ratner, <laughs> like oh, competent, right. competent, but like no one kind of likes him. But then yeah. there's Favreau, right? Really competent, but everyone really like he's on. He's like the A plus of that category. But so there's Jake, a middle ground of generic. Jake, guys. What, what kind of pizza are the Rooster Brothers? Like, are they are they like meat a, lovers? They, yeah, I was gonna okay. say meat lovers. Meat lovers, yeah, baby. They're, they're great. <laughs> Everything's right? on it. Everything. So, right. But, but like the, the, what's what's Spielberg? Spielberg's caviar, baby. He's in a class keep, all of his own. Keep it in the pizza realm. I'm just trying to figure out where Favreau lies on your food range here, because to me, Favreau is a very, very good director. I mean, like, and I know you're not saying really? he's not a good like, director. You, you, you're saying he's a very, very good director. Producer Gabe brings up that Swingers is brilliant. First of all, Swingers. And that's Doug Lyman. Yeah. It's Doug Lyman, but it's still it's Favreau's brainchild. And I also liked Made, which Favreau directed. Made um, a movie. Elf is really, really great. Oh, dude, it's um, classic. Iron Man 1 was awesome. I actually liked Iron Man 2. Uh, Jungle Book was fantastic. Iron Man 2 is my least favorite movie in the, in the MCU. I'm, I'm rewatching them. And Dude, Zathura, Jungle Book. Zathura is great. Zathura Jungle Book is, was awesome. For people who like Jumanji, for people who revisited the new Jumanji and, yeah. and don't really want to go back to the Robin Williams one, throw in Zathura because it's really well See, done. See, I think, Jakey, I think you have to give Favreau some pepperoni. I, I I don't think he's just cheese. I I think there's I think there's more to him. Like because because like Sean brings up like Brett Ratner. This is a good That's, time to mention that this podcast is actually sponsored by Pizza Hut. By Pizza Hut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm being serious though. I, I think Favreau is 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 a better filmmaker than you're giving him credit for. And, I, and I'm not sitting here saying he's on the same level as the Russos or, or um, Spielberg or Scorsese or whoever uh, the greatest filmmakers of all time would be. But I think Favreau definitely kind of comes in above average, in my opinion. I mean, he's, so, he's, he's so a when very you saw Favreau's name attached to that Star Wars series, you were genuinely excited. I wasn't was not a, excited. Was a, okay, cool. But I, wasn't yeah, like, I, I, just, I was just meh. Like, it was a good okay, choice. All right. It was uh, a so, safe choice. See, see, that's how I feel about Ron Howard. And I think Ron Howard's made a lot of great films, but when they when he signed on to Han Solo, that to me felt safe because Phil uh, Lord and Chris Miller were like those guys were like all over the place, fun, new, exciting, unique, um, and I was excited about that structure being put into the Star Wars world. Ron Howard was like the safe choice for me, someone who could do the job well, but it's not going to have, in my opinion a certain flavor that I want that I wanted from that movie. I mean, but at the end of the day, I mean, one thing that we learned from the solo drama, I'd argue, is that Kathleen Kennedy doesn't want an amazing director with great vision. She wants someone that will follow orders. But look okay. at look at Ryan Johnson's movie though. That movie was against grain though, completely and it, it wasn't good. You guys are you guys are <laughs> kicking me into my next topic. And I want to get to Ready Player 1 and we're going to get to Ready Player 1, but 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 the next topic is Let's talk about Wrinkle in Time, and let's talk about the hiring of Ava DuVernay and whether we want Disney to to take risks or whether we want Disney to just play it safe. 
I thought the hiring of Ava DuVernay for Wrinkle in Time was was great. You know, like I'm really excited that she got an opportunity to tell this story. And it, to me, it felt like a risk, whereas Disney knows that they're going to make money with Black Panther and, and Infinity War. So they can roll the dice on an offbeat telling of a, of a story that people might have read when they were kids but aren't overly familiar with. And they can make it fantastical and they can make it weird. But Wrinkle in Time didn't work for me. And it seemed like it didn't work for a lot of people. So I want to talk about whether we like the fact that Disney occasionally takes risks like this by hiring filmmakers who may or may not, you know, fully deliver what we want them to deliver. I I would argue, yeah, I would say that they should take risks because I would much rather see a couple of great movies and a couple of bad movies than see a couple of just middle of the line, borderline people that follow orders. I mean, yeah, for someone, for every wrinkle in time that we get, like where the risk was taken, then you get a Black Panther with Ryan Coogler. I mean, I'd argue that that was a risk. He hadn't directed yeah. anything like that before. You True. get a Thor Ragnarok. I mean, even like Rousseau Brothers didn't really have anything major under their belt when they were thrown uh, Winter Soldier. So so I think it is possible for things like, for, for magic to happen. And I'm not saying that because Wrinkle in Time was a failure that Ava... Ava should never get another big budget movie ever again. Obviously, you know, you look at Selma, she's an incredibly competent director. I mean, she knows what she's doing. You know, every, you know, every director's owed, you know, a misfire. And I don't think one misfire should say that she should never get it again. But, you know, I, I think that A Wrinkle of Time didn't work for a lot of reasons. And, and I think maybe the direction was just one of them. I think 100% Disney should take risks. I mean, like Jake just said, uh, putting a 31-year-old director behind the camera of Black Panther was a risk. And it was and it was obviously a very big success, of over a billion-dollar film. Um, I thought the choice of Ava DuVernay was a great choice. Uh, when I had read it initially, uh, I, I, her name being attached to it, I love what she did in Selma. Um, I was interested in seeing how she would handle a budget over $100 million. Um, that film was very problematic. I I did not like a lot of it. Performances, storytelling, um, the script was awful. Um, there was a young kid, the, the Charles Wallace character was beyond annoying. Um, so how do I, all I those things go wrong? That's what, that's, that's my, the question. I don't understand that. How can the script know. be that bad? How can the, the casting, because I, I agree with know. you, that kid is a horrible. Oh what, my God. But I don't even know if it's the character, if it's the kid, like his performance, no, or the, the way that he was, too. the way that he was directed. Right. That third act yeah. heel turn is so bizarre and yeah. none of it, none of it makes any sense. Like all of these scenes are so disconnected to the point where like we were knee deep in the movie and I leaned over and looked at my wife and the both of us were just like, what is happening in this, right. in this film? Yeah. The it, film it sort it of reminded me fa- of someone. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say the film sort of reminded me of someone that read the book in high school and sort of remembered what it was about and then is 40 years old at a dinner party and is trying to explain the plot to people as if they read it the other day. That's oh, that's how it came across. Like, that shouldn't like, happen. I, you know, I almost wanted to ask, like, when was the last time anyone involved with this production actually read the book? And granted, you know, I, I it wasn't a book that I, I read in high school, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying, but, like, I also, like, sort of kind of flipped through it before we started going and, uh, you know, before the, you know, production... You know, got going, and and I just remember thinking like, this is not what I really thought it was going to be, and I don't think it's what you thought it was going to be either. Yeah, I I, I found it interesting that the film somehow <laughs> was able to strike a balance where it was beating you over the head with the message over and over and over and over and over again. And then at the same time, under explaining everything about the science. So like, to me, audiences are smart. Like audiences don't need to be told over and over again, what the message is about a film. They told us a thousand times that Meg Murray's character had her faults. And those were the faults were were what was going to help her uh, succeed in the end. And they kept, feeding that in uh, to the audience. And to me, like, you know, movies that treat the audience as if they're smart, I have a lot of respect for that. That treated the audience as if we didn't know what we were watching. Then you don't explain the science enough, so you're having this weird level of, like, you're telling me too much there, there, but not telling me enough here. That was so frustrating and underwhelming and, and just uh, disappointing. It was all very right. disappointing. We have another adaptation coming, one that we're all very, very excited for. And the three of us haven't seen it yet, but it screened on Sunday and people are starting to weigh in. Uh, Ready Player One is being adapted yeah. by someone you might have heard of before. His name is Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and he was the, the subject of Spielberg Glenn. He was. And we're going to get to 
Kubrick blend right after this. But let's just weigh in really fast about Ready Player One. Did the reactions out of South by um, get you more excited for Ready Player One? Make you a little bit hesitant about what you read or uh, totally indifferent and you ignored what the reactions are because you're going to see it soon? Uh, I'd say for me, it they got me more excited, not because I necessarily th- read the reviews and thought, oh, we're on the verge of a Spielberg masterpiece. It just gave me uh, a sense of comfort that the movie doesn't suck. And I think that's what sort of the, I mean, you know, there I haven't been swayed by really any of the marketing material, any of the trailers. Well, I mean, really what sort of kept me uh, going is sort of this this undying love and trust of Spielberg and right. anything that he touches. Um so, but then again, you know, for every minority report, you know, I think of a recent blockbuster where he just kills it, knocks it out of the park, we get a BFG. Uh, so I was hoping it was more the former and not the latter. And I think the reviews confirmed, you know, we're, we're, I think we can sway on, on where the reviews, just how good it says it actually is. I read some people saying it was another masterpiece. I read some people saying, hey, it's good. It's good enough. It, it you know, it'll, it'll please you. But I didn't really hear of anyone saying that it was just an outright misfire. And I think that is what excites me. Yeah, it's my most anticipated movie of the year. I am, I have, I had literally just, I, I'm just full of excitement for this movie. Um, when I read the book for the first time, I could not believe that anybody would have the, uh, the, the cojones to actually turn this into a movie on the big screen. You know what I mean? Like, how, how do you actually translate that book to the big screen? And when I heard Spielberg was attached to it, all my worries went away because that to me was the perfect filmmaker uh, to relying on that whole nostalgia element of the story. Um, but I'm just, what I'm loving that what I'm hearing so far is that it, it, it's not all CGI that that does blend practical and CG. Well, from what I, from what I understand, I haven't seen the film yet. I see it Thursday. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm just I, over the moon excited about this. Movie. I, I read the wait. book. After um, he'd signed on to the adaptation. So reading it, I just like in every scene, I just kept thinking, how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? Like, how can you pull that off? And I I know that there are a lot of references that they couldn't clear. Um, There's a lot of copyright problems with this book. You know, you can't. I would love to see a documentary about the copyright issues going into making this movie. I know that's super nerdy, but you're right. I would like to just see how they argued. How is this going to because like the Iron Giant is prominently featured in the marketing. And I don't think the Iron Giant's in the book, if I remember correctly. I don't think it's no. a character in the book. And so. then in the book, they go into all these movies. They go into like war games. They yeah. go into Blade Runner. They go right. into like I'm like how are and just how are they going to do some this? of the challenges too? Like by nature yeah, of like Pac-Man. some of the challenge he has to like the when he went through war games. I mean that played well on page, but you don't want to yeah. sit there and watch a movie about a guy walking through another movie step by step. I mean, there's no right. excitement in that. So yeah. I you know I I'd argue you know, just like there's a difference between based on a true story and inspired by a true story. I think this is more inspired by the book than based on the book. I would yeah, watch I, a movie I, of Kevin walking through Dunkirk. I would watch oh, it. <laughs> I would watch a three-hour version of that. Hand I'd watch it before I'd watch Dunkirk again. As they skip down uh, the beach. <laughs> you, know what, you know what blew my mind, by the way, uh, was that the I, – I didn't realize this, I, I guess, um, at the time that I watched it until I re-read, reread it recently, that the beach scene in Atonement is actually during, during Dunkirk. The oh, actual, really? I did not realize the that. actual continuous shot in atonement, um, the famous like seven, yeah. six or seven minute shot. That's Dunkirk. Wow. That's interesting. I, I love Isn't it. Isn't that though. wild? Yeah. Also, Joe Wright is a genius. So, so I was say, so Joe Wright has made two Dunkirk movies. <laughs> yeah, I guess he did. Yeah, they're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Power actually also. true. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So one feature that we've been rolling out on, on the podcast and we're real blend now, and we're going to keep the feature going is that we do a, a hashtag, uh, someone great that we love blend. And we reach out to you guys on social media and the debate becomes what is their best film? And we're kicking around maybe bringing in actors uh, for this for this exercise. But last week's homework was to um, go over the, the filmography of Stanley Kubrick and use Kubrick Blend to help us pick uh, the best choices. And again, I, I have to say thank you so much for everybody who participated because we had really good feedback on, on social media. People were using the Kubrick Blend uh, hashtag, and we're going to have a fun one lined up for next week also. But we have our three picks, and then we will weigh in with what you guys picked too because producer Gabe did the math for us and has some pretty surprising results. So Ooh, we're going to go through. Yeah, I know, Ooh. right? Uh, we're going to go through our picks. <laughs> Jake, you are for, actually, Gabe told me that I have to go in a specific order because our answers are going to 
paint a narrative of uh, Stanley Ooh. Cooper's career. I know, right? So, Jake, go first. You, What is your... This is Jake's pick for the best, not his favorite, but what he believes is the best Stanley Kubrick film. And it's funny you mentioned that. Last week with Spielberg, I had to change my pick at the last minute because I originally went with favorite and then changed it to best. I did the same thing today. I, I texted our producer, Gabe, said, I'm, I'm going with this one. And then about an hour later, I said, scratch that. That's my favorite. I've got to go with his best. And in my opinion, his best exemplifies what, in my eyes, Kubrick is known for, which is changing the game of cinema, coming in and saying, these are the rules you play by. I'm going to play by different rules, and then we're all going to start playing my game. Uh, okay. We're talking about a film that, that uh, I would put in the very small folder of movies that I would label timeless, that looks just as good today as it did whenever it came out, and okay. a movie that continuously challenges me, both in terms of, of what I'm getting out of it, but just my experience watching it. I mean, you know, some of my favorite movies of all time, I, I, I could watch them a thousand times, but I see the same movie I see now than when I saw it the first time. Not the case with this film. Uh, I could, from the first time I watched it, you know, if I watched it today, it would probably be the 15th to 20th time I've seen it. Uh, every single time's a different movie-going experience, and for me, that's 2001. Good choice. Uh, Every every aspect of it, the screenplay, the 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 technological marvels, which I know that we, I, you know, at least personally, I don't know about you guys, I don't super consider Kubrick an Oscar winner, even though this won him an Oscar for special effects. Um, I mean, the 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 score that has been used for just, I mean, for you know, for from mockery and comedies to to promoting, you know, Apple products. I mean, every aspect of this film is the very definition of a game changer, and I'd argue maybe the most game-changing film in the history of cinema. And uh, when it comes down to, when you look at his filmography, like, I just, I I kept trying to justify a movie other than 2001 because to me, it was easy to go with 2001. And at the end of the day, I thought, well, if it's easy to go with 2001, then maybe the answer is just 2001. Sometimes the, the easiest answer is the right answer. Um, All right. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's my pick. Space Odyssey, well, baby. Let me go um, because I also picked 2001. <laughs> And I really wrestled with, um, because to me, it came down to Dr. Strangelove or 2001. Those are the two can that you, I wrestled with can, the can most. I, can I reveal my, my second one that I struggled sure. with? Sure, yeah, of course. My yeah. second, I was going with The Shining. The Shining, okay. I was struggling, See, yeah, 2001. I can't pick The Shining because Stephen King hates it. And oh, if, but, but to be fair, he does say he doesn't hate it because it's a bad, and I'm a Stephen King fanatic, so I've read on this a lot. He doesn't hate it because he thinks it's a bad movie. He hates it because the tragedy of the book is right. that Jack Torrance is, uh, is, is a man broken and driven to be crazy. I mean, granted, he, he's not a great person when the book starts, but driven to that point of insanity. And from the opening frames of Jack Nicholson's face, you assume right. that dude is crazy. Yeah, I can see that. I can understand that. Um, I think I also, one of the reasons why I had to veer off of Strangelove, Strangelove to me is one of the most brilliant satires ever written and it's screamingly funny and it's still as relevant today even more relevant today than it was when it came out but i just don't associate kubrick with comedy <laughs> and so picking what is his best film felt strange to pick a comedy although peter sellers is incredible in that film and the fact that he played different personalities and the different characters um made me really lean heavily toward it but i had to go 2001 for all the reasons that jake said and just the fact that, um, I mean, it's a movie that just when it arrived, it's one of the a handful of films, five films, ten films that you can point at that from, you can measure the history of film from things that came before it and then everything that came after it, right? And 2001 is one of those films. And 2001. And when, when, I, when I popped it in this past week to research this, I can't tell you how many times I watched a scene in that movie and thought, how on earth did this guy film this movie with what he had at his disposal? In in um, I'm blanking on the release date, but um, it's just it's such an incredible film. It's one of those films that's referenced constantly. It's it's with all of Kubrick's films, uh, like you said, the first time I've watched almost all of his films, I was just I'm too young to appreciate them. I I think I watched Eyes Wide Shut when I was like you know still in high school or early college, and I just didn't like. 
I appreciate it. When, I always appreciate what he's trying to do, but I don't always understand it 100%. And then I come back to it five years later. I'm like, oh, now I'm starting to, because I live more of my life. And I'm like, oh, now I kind of get, and that's what 2001 to me will be a movie that changes all the time. And it's just, it's always going to evolve, even though it's the same movie, because the world changes and I change. And it's, you can't say that about a lot of different films. So 1968, Gabe tells me that's when it came out. That's right. I remember. So, all right, that's two. For 2001, Kevin McCarthy, the best film directed by Stanley Kubrick is. Well, you you guys are like convincing me different ways here. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. Two, well, 2001 is an is an absolute masterpiece. I mean, it, this was a very tough thing. Though I will say, when we when we initially came up with the idea to do Kubrick blend, I the the first movie that came to mind was The Shining, and yeah. that's my pick. Uh, I think The Shining is, in my opinion, the scariest film I've ever seen in my life. Uh, mm. It is ungodly terrifying um and to me the sign of a great uh, the sign of a great movie that scares the audience is that is, is that it is timeless and jake mentions the 2001 element of uh it being timeless the shining to me is just so frightening the use of steady cam the cinematography the performance from nicholson everything about the way it's shot um I that movie just freaks me out and keeps me on edge the entire time and no matter how many times i watch it it just it just blows me away and to me just every little detail every little shot every little color everything everything he did in that film even the scene in the bathroom freaks me out beyond belief the oh. blood coming down the elevator um oh my god the, the uh, twins the, the twin twins girls. the yeah. the girl in the bathtub like yeah. i mean these are images that are just in my mind. What was the bartender's name? Lou? I can't remember. I think it, I think he calls him Lou. Yeah, but Lou. God, I mean, how did he how did he do the blood down the elevator scene when it's coming out of the like it's flowing down into the hallway? You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to guess it was a model. Maybe it was but a that model. That looked insane. Like how he did he pull that shot off? Shoots it in slow motion. Um God. It, it it's Nicholson's it's Definitely one of Nicholson's best performances. Is, is it Nicholson's best performance? I still think Chinatown yes. might be his best performance. Uh, I, I, Cuckoo's I, I, Nest well, might I, be. Cuckoo's I, Nest is pretty good. Have you ever guys seen the behind the scenes footage of Nicholson on the set of The Shining? No. It's no. Incredible. It's inc- like just is it him getting ready to um, to start swinging the axe into the door. Uh, speaking of the door, and I'm going to go to the other side of the door on this matter. And this may not be a very popular opinion. One of the things that keeps me, I think, from absolutely perfectly worshiping at at the throne of the shining is i cannot stand shelly duvall shelly duvall i know she drives me up the freaking wall <laughs> and, and there is an aspect of to, me though i i don't isn't that think, character supposed to audience, be like i know I, I think you should sympathize with her i think in the book i i read i, I read i read the book a couple of times and and i sympathize with that character i feel i don't i don't i don't you know, I don't, I don't, well, to me, it's, it's, by her. it's the way, to me, it's the same way you feel about Skylar and Breaking Bad. You don't, I, I don't hate the, the person or the character, but she annoyed me because she wouldn't, uh, in my opinion, she, I know it was probably a bad comparison, but what I'm, what I mean by that is the character itself is fine, right. but the, the actions of what the character does annoys me. Like, uh, like with Breaking Bad, for example, I couldn't believe Skylar couldn't just forgive Walt, uh, so they could just move on with their lives or whatever. But well, you're talking about the actions of the written actions of a character. I'm talking about the Shelley Duvall's performance as, as an actress, the way she delivers certain lines just drives me insane. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. As a kid, it always bothered me because uh, I, I, I watched R-rated horror movies from a very early age. To the uh, my parents say all the time, I'm age didn't turn out to be a serial killer. But that being said, that's the. I mean, you're talking about Sean. You're talking about how movies change, and I think Kubrick's probably more than anyone's. Those movies have changed with me as I as, as I've changed. The one constant is that I don't like Shelley Duvall <laughs> and The Shining, and I I I wish I could put a pin on as to why. But I just I I don't, I I don't get it. I don't. Do you guys don't understand I, how Kubrick? Let I respect that. Have I you guys seen the that. documentary about the different stories about like the fact? Oh, that, I think that documentary is full of crap, dude. Like I honestly, I think it is too. But have you seen the footage of the movie playing forward and backward at the same time and how they mirror each other? If no, you I play, don't know. if you play The Shining playing forward, it opens with that helicopter shot going over all of Colorado. And you play the movie backwards. There's a there's an equal shot that mirrors it, and then there are moments in a 
Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz kind of way <laughs> that they do sync up in weird spots. Like characters who are right aligned on the frame will be facing characters who are left aligned on the frame and they'll pass each other. Like it's, it's, it's total crap, like you say, but it does line up in more places than it should. It sort of reminds weird. me like in high school English classes where you're, sometimes your teacher would tell you like, you know, you know what the red flower represents? It represents tranquility and this and this. Sometimes <laughs> I would love, what I think one of the greatest experiences would be to sit down and watch, what was that, Room 237? I yeah. would love to sit yeah. down and watch that documentary with Kubrick and have him look over and just say, that was complete crap. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mean any of that. Right. I didn't put that kid in the yeah. in the Apollo 11 sweatshirt to let everybody yes. know that I filmed yeah. the moon landing. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. my point at all. How all did, right, the, by the way, how did that how did that whole thing start that he because like, that was one of that was one of the uh, someone joked on Twitter when I asked them their favorite Kubrick movie. They said it was the moon landing. But I mean, uh, how did that well, whole I mean, thing that, start? There's a theory. I mean, there's a theory that the moon landing was staged, obviously. <laughs> I know. But I why, did, why was why, Kubrick involved in that story? Yeah, I forget why that they said that he's the one that filmed it. Um I'm not quite sure why. It's such exactly. a random thing. Like that is actually like something people think about when they think of Kubrick is the moon landing. It's I like, get very to strange. The audience picks because the are uh, the audience the clear cut front runner was a Clockwork Orange. Wow. Everybody who played along with Kubrick Blend went with it's a Clockwork a Orange. Film. I do. I do love Clockwork Orange. And that the probably was has. What's the song he sings? What, what does he sing when 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 he's beating the woman at the at the in the in the beginning of the movie? I was, I was just about to say it ruined a song forever, but now I can't even think of whatever what, what song it is. You know what I'm talking about? That, when they break into the house and, they're in, and he's, he's beating the woman mercilessly. I know what you're talking about, but I've only song. seen Clockwork Orange once or twice, and I haven't seen it in a long time and don't want to see it again. I will say, when I watched, when I watched that film, uh, I, I felt my eyes drying uh, in the scene when they when they when they ah, literally yeah. I mean I'll never forget watching that because it's an iconic image from the film but when you actually watch the scene I found myself like blinking a thousand times to keep my <laughs> eyes wet I was like trying to yes. help it I was trying to help his eyes out because I was like this is horribly it, disturbing it's, just a, it's an unnerving film it's just a disturbing yeah. film so is That's, The Shining uh, though so is The Shining Shining can be too yeah um, The Shining, shining is, is, has, it has an accessibility to it that, that, and right. I'm not saying that, that one's better than the other but there's something about every Halloween popping on The Shining and, and you know, you know we're, 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 we're gonna get scared and it's fun I, I there's nothing fun about watching Clockwork I, don't get me wrong I love Clockwork it is, it is an incredible film and very much easily one of its best but there's wow. nothing fun about watching. What happened? What happened to the little kid from uh, The Shining? What's he doing nowadays? Do, I don't what, know. What happened to that actor? I, 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 I'm so curious. Like I we all, like, I feel like he's one of those guys I see articles about. I feel like he's one of those handful yeah. of actors that like he's around. Like I always find it mind blowing that the kid from A Christmas Story directed like Couples Retreat or whatever it was. Like that blew <laughs> my mind. Like what is the kid <laughs> from? Uh, I, 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 again. No Peter comparison between like, Couples Retreat and Shining. I'm just talking about young yeah. kids that became you know, older. If you play <laughs> Couples Retreat and The Shining at the same time, at yeah. some point, two characters are both speaking. Kevin, ask uh, Kristen Bell a, a Couples Retreat question when you get her on Saturday. Can you do that? Okay, you yeah, that's a great. I, that's if great. It, if it syncs up with The Shining. Um, tied for second. Oh, I'm sorry. The Shining got second in our audience picks and then tied nice. for third, 2001. And Full Metal Jacket, a movie that is yeah. half of an amazing movie. I was say I love the first half of Full oh. Metal Jacket, but after Vincent Vanafio dies, nobody then, likes the oh Singing yeah. in the Rain is the song. From, oh, that's from, uh, it, that's it. Yeah. Well I done, love, whoever pulled that. Well done. It's Jeff Howard, Jeffrey Howard, who's well done. Well done. I love all of Full Metal no, Jacket. No, just the first half. The second half. Oh, I think no, the second dude, half's second great. Half. It's just two different yeah. movies, dude. To me, Full um, Metal Jacket and The Deer Hunter are the exact same movie. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, here's what I mean. They were films that had literally different beginnings and completely different endings, in my opinion. The tonal shift. The entire beginning yeah. of Deer Hunter was all the wedding, happy, fun, whatever it was. And then, boom, right. we're dropped into Vietnam and then brutality. Full Metal Jacket, I'm not saying had a similar tone in the beginning, but they it felt like two halves of a, of a, of a story that were like that has a brutal line down the middle of a differing in tone and differing. I don't know. To me, that's how I always feel the same well, way about Deer this. Hunter, the, the first half is what made the second half a tragedy. With Full Metal Jacket, I don't feel like the first half has really any sort of emotional impact on the second half. It's an interesting it point, like but I, but Deer Hunter is jarring too, though. That when they drop into to, 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 to Nam, it's like it's a very jarring change. Like like the movie becomes something completely different. 
But right. it's like the first half of couples retreat is when they become couples. <laughs> and then and they then, retreat. Then there's the retreat, and it's a totally different movie. Totally different. All right. Next week, we have talked offline. We have chosen couples your homework retreat. for next week's podcast is hashtag Scorsese blend. How did couples we, retreat get into our discussion with Kubrick? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Kevin's microphone is going nuts. So we're going to wrap up real fast and let everybody know that use the hashtag Scorsese blend uh, on social media. We will be Once again, back. Best, not favorite. Not favorite. No, you know what? Okay, wait. I, I thought about this and I'm glad you said that. If we can, if we all kind of agree that Goodfellas is his best, should we say favorite and make it more interesting? I was going to say that Goodfellas was my favorite, but not what I think is his best. Oh, okay. All right. Then never mind. Never mind. Then we'll, then we'll keep the same rules and play along and we'll, we'll debate his yeah. best. Good, Goodfellas is my favorite Scorsese, but I don't think it's his best. Interesting. All right. So we'll be back next week. So we are going to do a show next Wednesday. Um, that's the day that works for everybody. We will be back on Cinema Blend's Facebook page on Wednesday, the 21st at 4 p.m. You can follow us on social media at uh, underscore, no, Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, at Jake's Takes and at Kevin McCarthy TV. As Kevin mentioned at the top of the show, we are on iTunes, so please go over there and drop a review and give us a star rating. And the shows, this show is free. All of our previous shows are free. Um, you can subscribe to us. Head to our Spotify page. Go to wherever you download podcasts. We appreciate all you guys tuning in to watch us. And uh, we will see you next week where we're going to have, I believe, some Tomb Raider talk. I believe we're going to have some Pacific Rim uprising conversations. And... Um, Whatever other big movie news drops. And Dunkirk. Let's talk about Dunkirk you know next week, too. You want to get back into Dunkirk? I yeah. heard if you played Dunkirk forward. Uh, the, at the same time as Couples Retreat. <laughs> yes. Then it turns into the prestige. So thank you, I everybody, for tuning in, guys. We appreciate Ugh. it. And we will talk to you guys uh, next week. Take care. Woo-hoo. Dunkirk. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.